Well, thank you all so much. I, I'll tell you, it's been a, a crazy uh, few months just preparing with a new job and, and studying for this thing. But uh, it was a very rewarding and humbling experience at the same time. And uh, I just, I have you to thank uh, because there were countless number of times where many of you have come and sent me emails just telling me that you've been praying. And uh, even on, at church on Sunday, you just give me words of encouragement so I couldn't have made it without your prayers and your encouragement. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 4. But before we go into it, I'm reminded of a story that I once read. It was about a guy named Jeremy Lamphere. And it was September 23rd, 1857. The conditions in New York City were horrendous. There was great economic instability There was also people who left the church, and the nation was on the brink of a civil war. So as you can imagine, people's hearts were scared. They were devastated. They were confused. So this young man, a young pastor by the name of Jeremy Lamphere comes in, and he was hired at this Dutch Reformed church. And part of his kind of job description was to do a visitation program. And he was supposed to come up with ideas on how to get people back into the church. You know, those people who had left the church, his goal was to bring them back and come up with ideas on how we can bring these people back. Well, idea after idea came in, and he just could not think of anything. Nobody came back to the church. So finally, he just threw his hands in the air, and he just said, we need to pray. We need to seek God's counsel on this. And so that week, he went to City Hall, downtown New York City, and he posted a flyer saying next week that he would host and start a prayer gathering. Well, a week happened, and then on on that Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., Jeremy shows up, and nobody's there. So Jeremy just decides to start praying, and he does. And within 30 minutes, another person came in. So they continue to pray. By the end of the hour, there were six people there praying with Jeremy. Well, words began to spread, and as weeks progressed, more and more people came in, hundreds upon thousands of people gathered at City Hall to pray every week. And in fact, one of the papers in in New York City reported that over 50,000 new Christians came out of that prayer meeting in New York City. But not only did it come out of New York City, it came and and the news spread all across the country. Big cities like St. Louis, Cleveland, and, and even parts in Missouri, it just spread across the entire country where This prayer group caught on, and thousands upon thousands of people were praying in major cities across the country. But it not only affected the United States of America, it affected the entire world. For instance, countries like Scotland, Wales, England, India, they all heard about this prayer gathering, and they started praying too. And thousands of people started praying in these countries. I tell you this because God really does hear our prayers, and God does amazing things when his people pray. I'm continuing a, a, continuing a series where Mike left off. He's, he's been teaching a great series on gospel-centered living. And today we'll be discussing gospel-centered prayer. But let me remind you of the book of Colossians. Paul is writing to a church in Colossae. And what's happening is very similar to that example I just gave you. People were, being, were leaving the church. In fact, they were being uh, influenced by outside false teachers. And so they were leaving the church. So Paul does two things in this letter, two main things. The first thing he does is he reminds the people of who Jesus is. He reminds them of of that Jesus is God. And in the second section of the book, he tells them on how to live. 
He instructs them on how to live a holy life. Mike has talked about gospel-centered relationships, gospel-centered marriage, gospel-centered parenting, gospel-centered labor. And now we're at this point in chapter 4 where Paul mentions gospel-centered prayer. So if you have your Bibles, it's found in page, on page 1,167 in the Bibles in front of you. And we'll, we'll be looking at verses 2 through 6. This is God's word. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to your sight. And I pray, Lord, as we look into this passage, that we will be challenged and encouraged uh, just to pray even more. In Jesus' name, amen. As I think about this topic of prayer, I think of two major questions. The first question I think about is, why is prayer difficult? Why is prayer difficult? And the second question I think about is, why is prayer important? Why is prayer important? So we'll be looking at these two questions this morning. So let's start out with, why is prayer difficult? Why, why is it so hard to do? Well, as I was thinking about this this week, I thought of three dominant myths that come in. Three things that aren't necessarily true that we think about when it comes to prayer. And the first myth that I think about is that prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. Uh, I've been in this job now full-time for a little over four months, and I've talked to many of you, and many of you are going through tragedy. You're going through a lot of difficult times. Uh, some of you have lost your jobs. Others of you have, uh, have been sick. And often when we pray, uh, we pray and we wonder if God is even there. We wonder if he's really even hearing us. And when our prayers don't get answered, we even wonder and question, does this thing even really work? Is he even there? Will he provide for me a spouse? Will he provide for me a job? All these questions we're thinking about, and when nothing seems to happen, we're left just questioning God and questioning prayer. Is he even out there? Does he even really care? And so that's why we come to the conclusion at times that prayer doesn't work. The second myth I think about when I think of prayer is that prayer isn't convenient. Prayer isn't convenient. Let's face it, we live in a time of busyness. We're in American society where many of you and us are working 50 to 60 hours a week. And for those of you who have kids, I can only imagine you go home from a long work day and you're still working at home. We're just exhausted and often we put prayer on the bottom of our list and we tend to put it on our to-do list because we're just overly exhausted. Uh, I'm reminded of a story of when, when I was in high school and uh, I was actually um, about 16 at the time. And my father, every single week, would come in on Sunday and say, Seth, it's prayer time. It's time to pray. It's family prayer time. And I used to hate it. I used to say, Dad, you know, I'm in the middle of doing homework. I'm on a phone conversation. You've, you're coming at the worst time. And I just felt like it was so inconvenient. So as a result, I would go in and I would pray with my family, and I wouldn't hear a word that my parents were saying in their prayers. I just didn't care because I was too busy thinking about my phone conversation or about my homework. And I realized, now I'm realizing as I look back, I took prayer for granted because I just wouldn't be happy to pray with my family and 
really, it was because of my busy life that I took prayer for granted. And I left prayer as a last resort. Now, I've talked to many people who, when they pray, they even wonder if, if God is there. Am I just praying to a wall? <laughs> is, is he there? He, can't, he doesn't talk back. You know, I can't feel him or see him or, or, or hear him. So what's the point? Why? This isn't really convenient because I'm just feeling like I'm praying to a wall. And I hate to say this, but in, in the past, I've even fallen asleep when I've prayed. You know, I just get so busy that I, I, I've fallen asleep. And I know I'm not the only one because I've talked to some of you who've told me that you've fallen asleep as well. Um, but you see, not only do we get tired, but sometimes we end up saying the same thing over and over again in our prayers. And not, not to say that's bad, but I often hear in prayers, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this food. And really, do we sit and think about what we're saying? You know, do we sit and think, are we really thankful for this day? Are we really thankful for this food? And so it begins to, to just kind of be mundane, where we're saying the same words, and there's really no excitement at all in our prayers. In fact, we begin to think about other things that are happening in our life, like our finances, our relationships. And so even when we're talking to God, we're actually thinking about something completely different. And this just makes me imagine having a conversation with someone, and I know we've all experienced this, but when you're talking with someone and they're looking elsewhere, they're looking, you're trying to have their, their attention and they're looking everywhere else. And then you, you want a response from them and they can't give you a response because they weren't paying attention. Well, I know we've all experienced that, experienced that and that's kind of how we often view prayer. You know, we often think about other things and, and, and talk about other things. Well, whether the excuse is that we're too busy or we're too tired, we consider prayer to be inconvenient. The third myth that we often think about with prayer is that prayer isn't necessary. Prayer isn't necessary. And we are in a Presbyterian church, and most of us probably believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things. So if God really is sovereign over all things, then why should we pray? In fact, God knows our prayers, so why should we pray? Because he already knows it, and he ordains everything to happen. And so when we begin to view and question prayer like that, we begin to see it as pointless, don't we? And we think it's unnecessary, that it's not necessary. These three myths I've mentioned are myths. They are not true. These are things that we may struggle with. I know I've struggled with most of these, and I'm sure many of you have. There's some of us that really don't struggle with that, and that's great. But I wanted to, to highlight those. But my question is, how do we combat this? How do we tackle this issue? You know, how do we get in there? And I would say by going to the Word of God. And Paul is giving us some incredible words of insight on how to go about this. So we're going to look at the second question today, and why is prayer important? Why is prayer important? Look at verse 2 with me. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when he says devote yourselves to prayer, he's saying to persevere in prayer. Why would Paul tell this church to persevere in, in prayer? The reason why he told the church is because he believed in it. He knew that it worked. In fact, if you look at Scripture in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That word effective means that it works, right? So Paul believes that this thing called prayer actually does work, and it is effective. Now, just this past week, I, I had the privilege of meeting with the Joy Group in our church. And uh, the Joy Group, they say, stands for Just Older Youth. 
And it was just an incredible experience for me because I went in and one of the questions I asked them was, can you tell me a time in your life where you have experienced God? Can you tell me where God has shown up and delivered you, delivered you from something? And immediately, all kinds of hands went up. And there were all kinds of stories about how God had answered their prayers. In fact, one guy said that he had had a heart attack and that God had healed him from that heart attack. And he's still here today. Another woman said that she lost her spouse, but it was the joy group and others in the church that really comforted her and just really built her up in love. And they also were praying for her. And she said, without their prayers, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be at UPC. Now, I don't think that these, all these experiences that they mentioned were just coincidence. In fact, I know they're from God. And I know that he hears our prayers because prayer does work. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, Jesus says that prayer is like a child going to his earthly father. The child wants something and the father is eager to give. But the father doesn't give until the child asks. Now, if you're a, if you're a parent, I can only imagine this concept. I mean, I'm sure it makes sense to you where even at Christmas, I mean, you're not just going to give your child a gift. I mean, you, you want them to ask for it. But not only do you want them to ask for it, but you, would, you really desire a relationship with your child. And this reminds me of a quote from John Frame. He's a professor at RTS, and he says that God, our Father, doesn't want to be like a machine that dispenses goods, but he wants to really be our Father, a real person. You know, this concept reminds me of the movie Bruce Almighty. Who here has seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Yeah, a lot of you. Um, Jim Carrey, the funny actor from Hollywood, plays in some in a few scenes in the movie. He actually plays God, and I don't really like that idea, but he plays God. And there was a scene that I immediately think about when I think of prayer. He's on his computer, and people were sending prayer requests, but the way they did it was very similarly to instant messaging. So he's receiving all these instant messaging messages, and they're all prayer requests. So what Jim does is, at first, he just has one or two. And he's like, oh, this will be fun. I can mess with people. I'll say yes to their request, or I'll say no to their request. But all of a sudden, after he, he seemed to have a good time, there were millions upon millions of requests that came in, and it just consumed him. And, and as a result, he couldn't read all the requests. And he was just getting very frustrated and confused. And finally, he just had enough. And he said, whatever, I'm going to say yes to every request. He didn't take time to read it. So he pushes yes, and all the requests were granted. Now, what happened after that was that people in the world became even more corrupt. It became crazy. And the reason was, was many people were praying for selfish motives. They were praying for their own desires. And Jim Carrey, playing as God, should not have granted those requests because it ended up causing harm to them. Now, this movie made me think of two things. The first thing it made me think about was Jim Carrey was exhausted when he had all of these requests come in. But the thing is, we have a God that doesn't sleep. We have a God that doesn't get exhausted. In fact, he's always ready, willing, able, eager to hear our prayers. He's always there, and he doesn't get exhausted. And the second thing that came to my mind is that when he said yes, when Jim Carrey said yes, and the world became more corrupt because people were asking selfishly, the thing is, is that God knows what's best for us. In fact, not only does he hear all of our prayers, but he truly knows what's best for us. Even when we think we know, we might have it all figured out, God really knows. And really, this kind of brings up a thought that I have. You know, many people are wondering, will God hear my requests? Is he really there? Is he going to answer me? 
And there's three things that really God may not grant our request immediately because of. So he may not grant or grant our request immediately. And the first is because other things might have to happen first. So there is a reason why your prayers aren't being answered. And this is the first reason. Maybe other things have to happen first. Remember the story in the Old Testament where uh, the people were in, were in exodus? And, or I'm sorry, they were in slavery. And they were wanting to get out of slavery from Pharaoh. And they were praying all the time, Lord, deliver me from this slavery. But things had to happen in order to make that happen. For instance, Moses had to come in. Aaron had to come in and speak to Pharaoh. And then all the plagues had to happen. So all these things had to happen first before their prayers were fully answered. I also think about all of us here, if you're a believer, you are waiting for the return of Christ. When is that going to happen? But things have to happen before he returns. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says that, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. You see, it had to be at the right time in history for Jesus to come into the world. And only God knew when that time would be. Now, the second reason why God may not grant our request is because of our sinful desires. Our sinful desires weigh in. In James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, we, we read that God may not be granting our request because of our sins. We may be selfish and have selfish motives when we're praying for something. And God doesn't want to give us our sinful desires. But the third reason, and this is probably weighs in more here, is that because of his sovereign purposes. God really is in control, and he may have a different plan than what we imagine. And I'm reminded of the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul prays three times that God would deliver him and heal him from the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was, but I can only imagine it causing great pain and grief. And Paul's just praying, Lord, deliver me from this pain. But God doesn't. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, God answers Paul and he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, in weakness. You see, God had another plan for Paul. It wasn't what Paul had in mind, but this ended up glorifying God. And I'm reminded of a quote from Mike Osborne a few weeks ago. Can I quote you? Is that okay? <laughs> he said during this time that God may not deliver you from it, but he will see you through it. And that's the whole concept that God does have something in mind. And I love that quote from Mike. You see, prayer does work. And only God our Father knows what's truly best. And Paul is urging the people in the church of Colossae to devote, to persevere in prayer and not to lose heart when a request is not immediately granted. The second truth I look at very simply is prayer is convenient. Prayer is convenient. There's times in our lives where we can pray. In fact... In the book of Philippians, Paul says to pray without ceasing. Now, I don't think that Paul, what he's saying here is that we need to be on our knees all day long because we have to work. We have to work on our relationships. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, I think what he's saying is we need to think about God in all, in all kinds of situations and circumstances. And so what does that look like on a daily basis? I think what that looks like is that when you're driving to work in the morning, say a prayer to the Lord. When you're standing in line at a grocery store, Say a prayer. I, I, I actually heard a great example from Jennifer Miller. She's a missionary in China that we support. She said that in the mornings, she will pray as she's drying her hair. And she'll have post-it notes on her mirror and pray every morning. Now, I'm not a woman, 
But Stephanie and other women have told me that it takes 20 or 30 minutes to dry long hair. And so that is a great time to pray. But see, prayer, when we look at it that way, really is convenient. It doesn't look like being on our bedside for two hours every morning and every night. In fact, that's a great thing. But I think prayer looks like all kinds of situations in different, during the day. Now, I also, when I think of prayer, I think of prayer as a relationship. I think when we're talking to God, we have to develop a relationship. And it reminds me of a quote from A.W. Tozer from the book, The Pursuit of God. Tozer says, we have almost forgotten that God is a person. It is inherent in personality to be able to know other personalities. But full knowledge of one personality by another cannot be achieved by one encounter. It is only after long and loving mental intimacy that the full possibility of both can be explored. What Tozer is saying is that we, can't, we simply can't pray once to God. In fact, we are, supposed to, we are supposed to pray constantly. Because just like a relationship involves two parties, you have to both give. And that's what he's saying. It's not just one encounter that you have with God. In fact, it's many different encounters that you're supposed to have. And in verse 2, Paul continues on by saying, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. When I dissected the word being watchful, it really literally means to remain awake. To remain awake. As I mentioned before, I've fallen asleep in the past as, I, as I've been asleep, but, or as I was praying. And Paul is saying to remain awake as we're, as we're praying. And if you think of it that way, think of a conversation if you were having with someone and all of a sudden they fell asleep while you were talking. They aren't really there, are they? Well, the thing is, is that this is the same thing that Paul is telling us. He's saying to remain awake when you're praying. But not only that, but I've also noticed in prayers, like I mentioned earlier, people tend to say the same thing. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for this food. Now, imagine if you're having a conversation with someone and all they're saying is the exact same thing. I'm reminded of a story of a woman who says thank you all the time. She just can't stop saying thank you. Even during the times when she shouldn't say thank you, she always said thank you. In fact, there was one day when she was driving way over the speed limit and a police officer pulls her over and he scolds her. He says, ma'am, you're going way over the speed limit. What were you thinking? And then he writes her a speeding ticket, hands it to her. She looks at the officer with a smile and says, thank you. <laughs> well, then she goes to work that week. And, and this is what I, what I read in the story. And one of her fellow employees just looked at her and he says, ma'am, I just, I can't stand it when you say thank you all the time. I mean, you just say it all the time and it doesn't even make sense. It's like, if you say thank you one more time, I think I'm going to scream. And so she just said, okay, you know what? I guess I do go a bit overboard. I'll do my best to keep myself under control. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> at that point, a deafening scream went throughout the office. Now, although we laugh at that story, how often do we do this to our Heavenly Father? When we tell Him, thank you for this day, how, how many of us actually stop and think about what we're saying? And I think this is what Paul is getting to. He's saying to constantly be awake and be thankful for the blessings that God has given. Now, this also reminds me of why we, should, we are to be thankful. And that is because, like I mentioned earlier, God doesn't sleep. And it reminds me of a quote from John Calvin. He says that there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. There is no time in which God does not invite him to, us, to himself. And that means that we have direct access to him. And it's just incredible to think of it that way. Now, the third truth is this, that prayer is necessary. 
Prayer is necessary. In verses 3 and 4, he says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This passage is incredible with the service that we've already been experiencing. Uh, Gigi Metzger just talked about how the door was open for the gospel to be proclaimed. And people were praying for Janine and Adam. And they came to the faith. We also sang the song of how um, the gates open. Open up the doors. Let the music play. Let the streets resound with singing. As I think about this, Paul, as he's writing the book, the letter, he's in prison. He's in chains. And he's saying, please pray for me that God would open up a message for the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be happy in prison. I would want to get out. But Paul is saying, what he's saying here is he's asking them for prayer that the gospel would be open so that he could actually preach to people inside the prison. He's not praying for them for him to get out of prison so that he can preach. He's praying for that particular situation that he's in. And he's thankful for the situation he's in. Now, why would Paul, who's in chains, be thankful for this situation? I'll tell you why. It's because he knew his eternal outcome. He had nothing to lose. He knew that one day he would be in heaven and those gates would be open. So the guy had nothing to lose. And if we believe in Jesus Christ and call upon his name, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yesterday we had a funeral and we called it a celebration for Lou Stevens. He was a deacon here at the church, a phenomenal godly man. And it was an incredible service because we all celebrated because we had hope and we knew his eternal outcome. We knew and we know now that Lou is having the time of his life in heaven. And one day, if we believe in Christ, we're going to be there with him too. And so Paul is in this situation in chains and he's just happy because God has given him the opportunity to spread the word. Now, as I mentioned before, prayer is necessary. And I, I asked that question where people asked, well, what if, if God already knows and ordains everything to happen, then why should we pray? Why should we pray? Well, let me respond by this. Just as God has ordained eating as a means which hunger is satisfied, so he's ordained prayer as a means by which events come to pass. Now, what I mean is this. God has ordained everything to happen. And he looks at, he, he ordains something, a final destiny to happen. But in order to get to that destiny, there has to be steps and things that happen. Secondary causes is what I call them to make that happen. So let me give you an example. God doesn't just declare, and he, he did this in day one in Genesis. But he says, let there be light. But what he does is he uses other causes to make that happen. Let light shine forth. For instance, he gives us the sun. He gives us the moon, the stars to illuminate light. Another example would be uh, growing crops. Crops don't grow unless water and sun happens. And so there's other causes that help make that happen. And another thing I think about is doctors, healing. God can just heal someone, but he also uses medicine and he uses doctors to help make that happen. So just like all these situations, God ordains prayer as a means to fulfill his purpose. So we see that prayer is necessary. Now, I wanted to mention one more thing, and that is that there are things that happen because of prayer and things that don't happen because of a lack of prayer. What I mean is this. In the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14, God says that if his people will humble themselves and pray, 
then he will forgive their sin and heal their land. So obviously here he's saying that if you pray, things will happen. But he also says if you don't pray, things won't happen. In James chapter 4, verse 2, James says that if we don't have the things we need, it's because we don't ask. So right here, Paul knows who is in control of the situation. And he knows that it has to take prayer to make these things happen. And he's thankful for the situation he's in. Now I'm going to wrap up with, a, with an example of my life. Mike mentioned that uh, I've just been through ordination. And for those of you who don't know how that goes, ordination is a grueling process. In fact, I'm glad I don't have to go through it again. Um, but it was awesome. It was good because it required a lot of study and it required a lot of humility. Um, and I just wanted to thank all of you because all of your prayers, I really could feel. I, I could feel a difference. Uh, this past Tuesday, I was in front of the Presbytery. It's, our, it's a local government of all the churches in the PCA within Central Florida. And there were over 100 people there, and they were just drilling me with questions. And it was great, but it was hard. But all I could think about was 10 years ago, I was called to be in the ministry. When I was a sophomore in high school, 16 years old. 10 years later, I'm standing right here, and I can't believe it's here. And I owe a lot of that to your prayers. I owe a lot of it to people throughout the years who've been praying. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for prayers. It's because of people like you who actually believe in it. It's, pe- it's because of people like you that know that God hears our prayers. And there's one particular person that comes out of my mind throughout the years, and, it, and it's my mom. Uh, I get, I get shook, shaken up by this. But my mom is an amazing woman. The day I was born, she prayed for me. And I believe she's prayed for me every single day of my entire life. She prayed for my spouse the minute I was born. Now I'm getting married. It's incredible to see how God has, has just shown and, and has answered my mom. Well, it was the day that I had to go in front of a committee. It was an ordination committee, which is before the presbytery. And the committee is made up of nine guys, nine teaching elders and ruling elders. And they're in there with you for about four hours. And they're in there just drilling you with questions for up to four hours. And at the end, it was by the grace of God I passed, I'll tell you that. But at the end... I remember calling my mom, and she told me, Seth, I was praying for you the whole time. I was praying for you the whole time. And uh, I know that I, I couldn't have done it without her prayers. So I tell you this example because prayer does work. It is convenient, and it's necessary for us. To have a relationship with someone requires both parties to participate. God requires or desires to talk with us and to listen to us. So let's approach him now with our prayers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we will devote ourselves to prayer, that we'll persevere in prayer. I pray that we'll stay alert in prayer. And I also pray that we'll be thankful in all situations and circumstances that you give us. Lord, we ultimately know that you know what's best for us. And I thank you for that, even when we don't know what's best for us. But Lord, just grant our request. And may we humbly acknowledge you and come before the throne today. In Jesus' name, amen. And one thing I wanted to mention before Jonathan leads us in prayer is that we do have a prayer team. Uh, In fact, in the worship guide, uh, there are times during the month that we can meet together and pray as a church. And so please refer to your worship guide for that. We also have new cards. Uh, We have a Pray It Forward campaign where you can actually pray for different uh, requests that we have as a church body. 
and you can sign your name and then pass it forward to someone else uh, pray. So it's a, co- a continual movement of prayer. And if you have uh, any questions or would like to participate with Pray It Forward, we have information in the foyer. Thank you.